If you would, turn to your, uh, in your Bibles, uh, paper, phone, whatever, uh, to Luke 12, beginning in chapter, uh, verse 35. Luke 12, beginning in verse 35. Uh, I'm Tony, one of the pastors here. Y'all don't believe me? I, I love Kentucky stuff and uh, baseball and roller coasters and no, I'm not Tony, still on sabbatical. I'm Matt, one of the other pastors here. I'm sorry if that, that disappoints you. Uh, but I am one of the other bald pastors here, so I've got that going for me. And uh, I'm also one of the older elders here. And one of my primary, as one of the older elders, is one of my primary and most important responsibilities is this. Uh, to give this church a better appreciation of music before the 90s. Um, there was some good stuff, y'all. Uh, the good old days, you know, before auto-tuning and explicit lyric stickers, back when you actually went to a record store to buy your music. Uh, I was raised on rock and roll and R&B of the 60s and 70s, and I came of age with the music of the 80s. All decades, all great decades for music. Uh, yes, I'm old. Um, so as I was working on this sermon and, and considering sermon titles, that's always, you know, the first thing I do, uh, as usual, my mind went to song titles when I was thinking about sermon titles, specifically to ones that contain the words wait or get ready. So a few options I considered, some not so seriously. Uh, there's, the, the, of course, the recently and hugely popular Wait For It from, y'all may have heard of it, Hamilton, anybody heard of that one? Uh, so, no, I ruled that one out. There's the classic uh, Get Ready by Pitbull and Blake Shelton. <laughs> Not a classic. Um, skip it. Uh, another classic, if, if you've been in an NBA arena in the last 20 to 30 years, you know this song, Get Ready, or Are Y'all Ready for This? By Two Unlimited. Um, Mo, let's, let's, get, let's get some good stuff. So, how about uh, The Temptations? Get Ready. That's what I'm talking about. Or my favorite, uh, old Curtis Mayfield song. Uh, also, it was recorded originally by the Impressions, uh, People Get Ready. It was covered by Aretha Franklin. It was covered by Jeff Beck and Rod Stewart. Those are my favorite versions. So y'all list, y'all Spotify that on the way home. Um, good stuff. So I settled in on People Get Ready. Jesus is coming back. Now, I don't know how to transition from pop music to history, but here I go. Many people, many people, philosophers, worldviews, have held to many different ideas about history, about time. One is that it's cyclical. You may have heard history repeats itself. That, that history is cyclical. It's just going to go back in a circle over and over and over again. Or a second one is that history will eventually end in nothingness. What rocks dream of. Or, or three, that time and the universe is eternal. And it will go on forever, perhaps uh, being regenerated into universe after universe after universe. And that, that time and history will just go on forever. That the universe is eternal, but not God. But none of that is what the Bible teaches about history and about time and where things are headed. Alistair Begg put it this way, In contrast to the notion of history being cyclical, the Bible teaches that history is linear, that all of human history is moving toward a destination. So when you today or tomorrow pick up your diary or your phone and you look at what you have planned for the coming week, know this. 
that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is an event that is written into every human diary, into every time schedule, into every work planner, he writes. The return of Jesus Christ will be an event in history for all men and women, for all men and women. And every one of us, whether we have recognized this ever, or whether having recognized it, we have pushed it to the back of our minds, every one of us is moving toward a rendezvous with Jesus Christ. Every one of us. So questions for all of us this morning as we begin. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? And when do you think that will happen? I'm just curious if you know when it's going to happen. No, you don't know when it's going to happen. We'll learn that later. But what if it was next Easter? Yeah, a year or so from now, a little less than a year from now. What if you knew Jesus, that would be a good day to come back on Easter. Like, what if you knew Jesus was coming back next Easter? What if it was this Saturday at 7 a.m.? So you're not sleeping in. Jesus is going to be there at 7 a.m. What if it was tomorrow night? What if it was an hour from now? We had a big countdown clock. We got a countdown clock right there. But we have a Jesus countdown clock up here. He's coming in an hour. You ready? Uh, What if it was in five minutes? Would he find you ready for him? Uh, And what would you do between now and then to be ready for him? Well, the Bible, especially in the New Testament, and often from Jesus himself, tells us repeatedly that Jesus will return, but that we won't know when. So in light of that fact, that truth, that that certainty, questions that everyone, everyone must wrestle with are this. Do you believe that? Are you ready for that? Are you ready for this? Thankfully, in today's passage, the Lord Jesus himself teaches his disciples and us how to be ready for his return. Specifically, he gives us instructions and warnings and promises to encourage us on how to be ready for his return. Now, you'll see several common themes. You'll hear them over and over again in today's passage. At least, you'll hear them from me. And those themes are this, waiting, watching, and working. Waiting, watching, and working. Waiting meaning let's, we should be patient and expectant, not hasty or impatient. We should be watching. We should be attentive and focused not distracted or inattentive. And we should be working. We should be laboring wisely and faithfully, not lazy, apathetic, insubordinate. Jesus is telling us how to be ready for His return by waiting and watching and working. So our main point today is this. Followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus faithfully wait, watch, and work, expecting His certain return and anticipating His promised blessings his certain return, and his promised blessings. So the structure of our passage today, you you probably noticed as as Katie read through it, is this. There are three parables, or perhaps kind of two parables with an illustration in the middle of the the first parable where Jesus kind of expands on the first parable. And in these three three parables, we have uh, two commands, two warnings, two promises. Two, two, two. Two commands, two warnings, two promises. So let's jump into the first parable. The first parable, the waiting and watching servants, verses 35 through 38, where we learn that we should wait patiently and expectantly for the master's return. Patiently and expectantly for the master's return. And here we have, right here at the beginning, our first command of two commands. Stay ready for the master's return. For us, be ready for the return of Jesus. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door at once when he comes and knocks. 
And so Jesus begins this parable with a clear command, an admonition, an exhortation, a call to stay ready and wait for his return. And if you notice there, there's four specific instructions, I think, that Jesus gives his hearers about how to stay ready. The first one is this. He says, stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action, meaning we should stay ready for Jesus' return. More literally, those words could be translated as, gird up your loins. Gird up your loins, church. Or the KGV actually translates it this way. It says, let your loins be girded about. It's a funny reference, but it's actually an allusion. Jesus is using an allusion or reference to the Old Testament to, to certain events that happen there. More specifically, Exodus chapter 12, verses 11, where the Hebrews were told to gird their loins so that they would be ready to leave Egypt after the Passover, be ready to go. In 1 Kings 18, 46, where Elijah girded his loins, he tucked his robe up so that he could run ahead on the road and get ahead of Ahab. And then finally, in 2 Kings 4, verse 29, Elisha tells his servant to gird his loins and be ready to work. So the image here is of someone who has tucked their long robe up in their belt so that they would be ready to move quickly and prepared for physical exertion, to, to run, to work, to travel, even to fight. They needed to be ready. So the master is away for a little while, right? Celebrating at a wedding. And Hebrew wedding celebrations during Jesus' time could last up to a week. It was a long time to be away. So the servants wouldn't know how long it would take for the master to return, just that it would be a long while. And even though it was a late hour, and even though they had been waiting for a while, and even if they had been tempted to think, it's been too long, and maybe we should just turn in for the night, they stayed dressed and ready for service. No getting their PJs on. No wrapping up in a Snuggie for these servants. They need to, they want to be ready for their master's return. And so it should be for us. We should stay ready. We should anticipate, look forward to the return of Jesus. Trent Butler, a commentator, put it this way, a servant of the kingdom is always on call. He has no time for delay. You must be ready to move when Christ returns. Do not think you can make preparations for his coming then. Do not think you can change your position from worrying about material goods to serving the kingdom then. When Christ comes, be ready. Which brings us to the second thing Jesus says. Keep your lamps burning. Wait up for me. This is, again, another allusion to an Old Testament teaching or practice. We see it in Exodus 27 and, and also Leviticus 24 where they were given instructions. The Israelites were given instructions about keeping the lamps on in the tabernacle to keep the oil in the lamps and keep the wicks trimmed. So what is Jesus saying by using this reference? He's saying, be, a di be diligent. Stay awake. Don't let the oil run out. Keep the wicks trimmed. Keep the lights on. Wait up. There are no, time, there are no times of lights out for followers of Jesus. Faithful servants must always be on watch, he's saying. Even in the darkness of night, even when they're tired, even when you're tempted to stand down or go to sleep, and even when you're tempted to doubt I'm coming back or it's taken too long, stay awake, stay alert. And likewise, we must remain aware as we wait on Jesus. R.C. Sproul put it this way. He said, stay ready, Jesus said, no matter how late it may be, even though you may grow weary and maybe even cynical, saying, he still isn't here. 
He's probably not coming at all, so we might as well go to bed. Resist those impulses, he says. Jesus said the servant whom the Lord finds waiting when he comes will be blessed. The third instruction he gives in this passage, in this particular section, is this. Be like men, he says, who are waiting on their master to come home. Wait with anticipation. Be watchful for Jesus. Fight the temptation to doubt. Believer, know for sure he will return. You can count on it. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe what he said about himself and what the Bible teaches, if you trust what he's told you, and you should, believe his promises. And one of the most important of those promises is this, I'll be back. Not Schwarzenegger, Jesus will be back. Believe it, watch for it. Which brings us to the fourth instruction in this this section, which is this, it's kind of an implied instruction. He says, be ready to open the door. So the, the instruction there is, open the door when I come. Be ready for me, to welcome me. No matter how long it's been, when the master returns, he shouldn't have to bang on the door, ring the doorbell, enter the code on the garage, wake you up, break into his own house. Good servants are ready. They're at the door waiting. And they're waiting to open the door and then carry out the responsibilities he's given them. That's the picture Jesus is giving to us for what a, a ready servant would be, be willing and able to do. It's their joy to see their master coming home and to welcome him. And if you, if you long for Jesus' return, if you are truly ready for him, you'll be excited to welcome him. It won't be a burden. You won't fear it. It will be a joy. Like when your spouse or one of your children or your parent has been away and you watch for them. You know when they're coming home and you watch for them and you open the door and you run and you greet them and you welcome them home even before they knock. You long for them to return and you welcome them with excitement. What a beautiful scene this is that, that greeted the master. What a beautiful welcome. But what was even more beautiful and stunning is what happens next. Time for the master to flip the script, as it were. As Michael Scott would say, well, 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 how the turntables. <laughs> so we come to our first promise. Blessed are the servants who are ready for the master's return. He will serve them. Verses 37 and 38, the text says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and he will serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third, and he finds them awake, blessed are those servants. So when the master returns and finds the servants ready, it will be good for them, Jesus says. They will be blessed. And notice that Jesus says blessed twice for emphasis, as if to say to us, those servants will be very blessed, super blessed, blessed upon blessed, grace upon grace. And when Jesus returns and finds us ready for him, it will be good for us. We will be blessed. It will be so very good for the faithful followers of Jesus. We can count on it. We can look forward to it. Why? Because he promised it. Now back to the parable. What a striking reversal of roles we see here. As the master dresses himself for service and waits on his servants, it's very late at night, maybe close to the morning. In the second or third watch, the passage says, 
middle of the night, and yet the servants are alert and ready. They waited up. So what's the master do? Tell them thanks. Appreciate it, guys. I'm going to bed. He's been gone for a while. It's late, and surely he's exhausted. And while he is grateful for the nice welcome, I'm sure, who could blame him for heading straight to bed, getting comfy, that snuggy, and going to sleep? But that's not what this master does. No, this master dresses himself for service. That's the same verb back up in 35. He dresses himself for service. Then he have his, has his servants, did you notice? Recline at table. Get comfy. Rest. And then he serves them. He serves them a meal. He rewards their faithfulness. And he serves them. Trent Butler again put it this way. For those who are ready, what a surprise. No barking of commands. No extra burden of work. Instead, it is a role reversal. The servants will lie down at the table and they will eat. The master will put on the servants' clothes, prepare the food, and serve the servants. He will serve the servants. Folks, the master will return. Jesus will return. He will dress himself for service. He will give you a seat at his table. He will give you rest, and he will serve you. This points us to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we'll hear more about during our time of communion in Revelation 19. And while we too may think, be tempted to think, it's taken longer than it should, Jesus. And we long for tomorrow's rewards today. We need to remind ourselves and each other, he will come back. And when he does, we won't regret our waiting. And we won't regret our watching. And we won't regret our working. We won't regret staying up, staying alert, staying ready. And we won't regret serving him. Now, a caution. Again, it could be a while. Longer than you think or hope for Jesus to come back. And it may not happen in your lifetime. You'll be tempted to drift off to sleep, not be ready, not keep watch, not stand your post. We don't need to be ready all the time, do we? I mean, we can wait till later in life to be ready, right? I mean, I'll probably live to what, 70, 80, 90? If I eat more kale, maybe? If Jesus comes back while I'm napping anyway, he can just let himself in. He's Jesus. Believer, resist that temptation. Jesus tells us plainly and repeatedly, you don't know when I'm coming back. But when I do, you need to be ready. This brings us to the, the second parable, or again, this illustration, and our first warning. Verses 39 and 40, the watchful homeowner we see. And we learn that we should watch attentively for the master's return. So this first warning is this, servants must always be ready for the certain but unknown time of the master's return. But know this, Jesus says, that if that master of the house had known what the hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, we see that this parable reinforces the first one, what Jesus has just been teaching us. And he, he uses this picture of a, a wise and watchful homeowner and an unexpected burglary to reinforce the point he was making in the first parable, which is this. We don't know when he will return, so we've got to stay ready. Martin Luther said this, a quote you've probably heard up there here a few times. There are only two days on my calendar, today and that day. It has been over 2,000 years since Jesus' resurrection 
And even though we don't know when he will return, we do know that we are at least 700,000 days closer to it. Closer to that day. So how are we to think about that day and, 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 and when we don't know when that day will come? Well, Jesus says, think about it like a burglary. A thief's coming was a common image used in the New Testament uh, talking about Jesus' return. We just read one of those. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Peter 3, Revelation 3 and 16. Now, maybe it would help us just kind of imagine this in our own time, in our own context, in our own homes. You're a homeowner, and you know, you know, for whatever reason, you know a thief is going to come and try to break into your house. You know it's going to happen. Uh, and you know when it's going to happen, right? Let's just say it's four, well, maybe not four, we've got a members meeting. Is it three o'clock this afternoon? It's at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Where are you going to be at 3 o'clock this afternoon? I'm going to be at home waiting on that guy. I'm probably going to call the cops in advance. I'm going to be ready for this guy. But what if you don't know when it's going to happen, but you know it's going to happen? Well, you always need to be home and ready, right? All the time. Now, I don't think Jesus is trying to tell us to take this literally, that you can never leave your house, okay? That's not what he's saying. He isn't saying be a hermit that never sleeps. He's saying, because you won't know when I'm coming back, you need to stay ready as if it could happen at any moment. Now, this may seem foreign to us and strange to us. What do you mean I've got to stay like ready all the time? But think about it like this. There's a lot of jobs, there's a lot of roles in our culture where we expect people to stay up and ready, right? On duty. How about the people that work at the front desk at the hotel? Like, and you're coming in at 1 a.m., I hope they're up and ready because I need a room. I need my room key. I don't want them sleeping on the floor. Or more seriously, how about nuclear power plant operators, right? We don't want them like Homer Simpson. We want them like staying up on duty. Or air traffic controllers. It's good if they stay awake, right? Or pilots. I like it when my pilots don't fall asleep, you know, while they're flying the plane. Or EMS workers and firefighters. You expect them to stay up and ready. So maybe that helps you kind of understand what Jesus is getting with. And so what he's saying here, the, the main point is this, not to never leave your home and, and you have to stay awake 24-7. You can't do that. He's saying as followers of Jesus, as followers of me, you're always on duty. That doesn't mean we can't rest. We're commanded to and have fun. We can. We can enjoy the good gifts he's given us. But it does mean, listen, that there aren't periods or pockets or places in your life where you can just not be a Christian. When we can clock out and check out and put our Christianity and our faith in a box on the shelf and compartmentalize it. You're always a follower of Jesus. And we need to act like it. We need to act like we belong to him all the time. We are always servants of Jesus and stewards of the gospel. We don't take breaks from following and obeying him. And we should be ready and look forward to his return, even if we don't know when it will happen. The truth is, no one, Jesus told us this, no one knows when he's coming back. It will be as a thief in the night. Most people will be surprised and shocked. No president, no news network, no social media influencer, no prognosticator, no pastor, no Christian, no human being knows when it's going to happen but it's going to happen. So brothers and sisters in Christ, my encouragement to you, my question for you is, are you ready for Jesus? Are you watching for him? And if you're not a Christian and you're here with us today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I 
I would just ask you, are you ready for him to show up in your life? If he knocked on your door tonight, would you be fearful or excited? Or would you just keep quiet, keep the lights off, and hopefully Jesus just goes away and leaves you alone? What if he walked in this room right now? Would you be ready for him? That brings us to Peter, verse 41. I say, pardon the interruption, a question from Peter. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us, for us or for all? Meaning, just us disciples, just the 12, or for everybody here? So Peter responds, as he often does, to uh, Jesus' teaching uh, in his customary role as spokesman for the disciples, he thinks, with a question about the extent of their responsibility. Are you talking to me, or are you talking to everybody? And while it's not a bad question, uh, Jesus responds not with a direct answer to Peter's question, but rather with a counter question. He often does that. And we see that in verse 42. And we start our third parable. Parable 3, the wisely working servant. Verses 42 through 48. And probably the hardest part of our text today. Where we learn that we should work wisely and faithfully until the master's return. Wisely and faithfully until the master's return. And this, begins, uh, this, t- this section begins with another command, our second command, that we should be faithful and wise servants who obey and serve the master well, even and especially when he is away. Verse 42, the Lord said, Jesus said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? So it's a rhetorical question, but it's really a command. He's saying... Who is this faithful and wise manager? Meaning, you should be a faithful and wise manager. But he's asking it as a question to to challenge and prompt his hearers. He's saying, who will faithfully and wisely carry out the responsibilities I give them? Who will be trustworthy? Who will demonstrate they're one of my true servants? To get at this, he uses this picture of a manager placed in charge of of his master's household while he's away. And, and just one quick note, the word manager here could also be translated as steward or caretaker. And interestingly, in verse 43 below, Jesus refers to this person as a doulos, a servant. And so the idea here is of a servant leader, a servant leader, a humble steward that understands his role and responsibility, understands and, and carries out this stewardship wisely, knowing that it isn't his resources or his household that he's managing. It's the master's. This steward manager is given the task of managing the whole estate, and and given that the owner would be away for a while, for an unknown amount of time, he he has a lot of freedom. He has a lot of freedom. If he's faithful and wise, he'll steward the owner's resources and make sure all the members of the household are fed and cared for. But if he's foolish and wicked, he'll neglect those responsibilities. He'll indulge his sinful desires by misusing and wasting those resources. And he'll actually hurt the very ones he was entrusted to care for. So Jesus is asking, what kind of manager will you be? What kind are you? Now, it seems obvious, I think, that there's a direct application here to to Christian leaders, to pastors and others that are in positions of authority. For sure, that is an application of what Jesus is saying. For instance, he says to give them their food allowance. That probably refers to the responsibility of leaders and and really all Christians to feed the people of God with the word of God, to give them their food allowance. So for sure, for sure it applies to church leaders. 
But I think these principles can also be applied to other Christians and other positions of, of authority or leadership, as well as all Christians, given that we're all followers of Jesus with God-given responsibilities as Christians to faithfully steward the roles, the resources, the responsibilities He's given to us, and to obey His commands, and to care for His people, as Jesus Himself told us to do and expects us to do. Therefore, it's, it's not just Christian leaders that this text applies to, although as it also teaches us, they will certainly be held accountable uh, based on the level of responsibility. So the greater the responsibility, the greater accountable you will be. So that is what he's teaching. But again, I think this applies to all Christians. That brings us with, uh, to our second promise. The second promise is this. Blessed are the servants who serve and obey, Jesus, obey the master in his absence. He will reward them. Verses 43 and 44. And for us, our, our takeaway should be, blessed are the obedient servants of Jesus. For when he returns, he will reward their faithful service. He says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, being faithful and wise. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So then we have this third blessed, the third blessed in today's passage. Again, Jesus says, it will be good for that servant. Brothers and sisters, listen and dwell on this. If Jesus, the very Son of God, God incarnate, the Jesus who was there at creation, when God declared over and over and over again that his perfect creation was good, if Jesus says it's going to be good, it's going to be really good. You will be blessed. It's going to be perfectly good. It's going to be good in ways you can't comprehend or imagine. We don't have a scale. We don't have a system of measurement. We don't have words for how good it's going to be. It will be Jesus good. So here in this parable, Jesus says, when the master return, when I return and find you being wise and faithful and caring for my people, truly, which you could say is amen. He's saying, amen, it will be good for you. I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you access to the whole kingdom permanently. What a promotion. He says, I'm going to set you over all my possessions. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus will put one really good Christian in charge of all of heaven. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean he will recognize faithfulness in particular and personal ways. Particular and personal ways. Now, a side note, over the years, I don't have time to get into this, a lot has been written and debated by the, about this idea of, of different rewards or levels of reward, levels, Jerry, levels of reward in heaven based on individual faithfulness, that, that we might receive different rewards based on our faithfulness. And I don't have time to get into that today. Y'all can debate that in growth group, or I actually suggest you just ask Tony about it when he gets back. Tell me about the levels, Tony. Um, the point is this. The point is this that I want you to understand. As followers of Jesus, if we are truly his people, if we are truly his adopted sons and daughters of God through the atoning blood of Jesus, if that's who we are, we need to act that way. We need to identify with and act like we're his people. We need to live our lives according to our new identity in Christ, in the commands of Christ. And we need to remember what Romans 14, 12 says. Each one of us will give an account to God. Kent Hughes put it this way. We have so much. We have the word of the Old Testament, the word of the prophets, the word of the covenants. 
We have the word of the New Testament, the revelation of the incarnation, the gospel of grace, the life and teachings of Jesus, the apostolic witness and teaching. We have 2,000 years of the church's testimony. We have abundant preaching. We have Christian education. We have thousands of books. We have a wealth of opportunities. Consequently, much is required of us. Now, I don't know exactly what that'll be like for you or me when Jesus comes back. But I trust Jesus, and so can you. So should you. He'll do what he promised. And I know that we who love him and loved his appearing won't be disappointed. It will be good for us. That's good enough for me. Now, what about these disobedient, unfaithful, and foolish servants? What about these that abuse authority, deliberately disobey, ignore instructions, hurt people, waste opportunities, use these good gifts and responsibilities he's given them for selfish gain, for indulgence? What about those servants? Well, that brings us to our our second warning and our final warning, where Jesus teaches us that servants who disobey and are disloyal to the master will be held accountable. They will receive justice, verses 45 through 48. And for us, our takeaway should be that those that disobey Jesus will be held accountable. Let's read this again. But that servant says to himself, if that servant says to himself, my master's delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of whom much will be required. And from him to whom much they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So Shane's going to preach on this next week. I'm going to bring it to a... No. I'm going to try to hit this uh, at least at a high level. What, what's going on here? Well, I think as, as many commentators have taught, and, and I think what's going on here, again, this is a hard text, and there are different interpretations, but, but it seems what we have here is three categories of servants, or unfaithful servants, three categories in verses 45 through 48. First, the first one in verses 45 and 46 is what I call the user and abuser. It's user and abuser. He's a false disciple. This guy decides the master's not coming back anytime soon. No one to hold him accountable. No chance he'd be punished for his negligence and wrongdoing. Besides, he can straighten things up before the master comes home, right? And while the cat is away, the mouse will play. So like Tom Cruise and Risky Business, there's no one of your 80s references. Uh, like Tom Cruise and Risky Business, knowing that homeowner will be gone for a while, this guy decides to indulge his worst instincts and in a life of depravity. Instead of submitting to the master's authority, he's ruled by his own sinful desires, and he idolizes himself. Instead of protecting and caring for the servants, he beats them and abuses them. Instead of giving them their daily bread, instead of feeding them, he feeds himself. And he he lets those who who are hungry and starving uh, keep on hungering and starving. No, he's a false servant. He's disobedient. He's doing the opposite of what was commanded and expected of him. But he's also showing who he really is. He's not a servant of the master. He's a user, abuser. His master is himself. No, he has no place in the master's house. No place at his table. And so what does the master do upon his return? Well, the text says he cast him out. 
the servant will be cut into pieces. Or maybe better translated, he will be cut in two. He will be cut in two. And the picture you need to get there is not necessarily that he, w- he will be chopped up, but that he will be permanently separated from the people of God. He will be put with the unbelievers, the unfaithful, because that's who he's shown himself to be. Daryl Bach put it this way. He does not lose what he had. Rather, he shows he never had a proper relationship with the master to begin with. His punishment is the ultimate exclusion from the community. And we should remember Jesus' own words in Matthew 7, verses 23, where he says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Judgment will come on those that don't choose to follow Jesus and believe in him. And then we have this second category, this verse 47, this knowledgeable but disobedient servant. And the picture here is, is about uh, the discipline of a disobedient but genuine servant, a disobedient but genuine servant. They know the expectations, but they still fail to obey. And they aren't ready when he gets back. Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they're irresponsible. Maybe they're apathetic. Maybe they're undisciplined. Or maybe they're just too busy. Maybe they're just too busy to serve the master. In any case, they know better, and they still don't do what they ought to do. And Jesus is teaching that servant will be held accountable. He will be disciplined, but he won't be cast out. Why? He's a genuine servant, just not a very faithful one. And there will be consequences for his disobedience, but because he hasn't rejected the master, he will not forsake him. A passage that comes to mind here, I think that can help us understand this, is 1 Corinthians 3.15. Where the Apostle Paul teaches, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So this servant will receive some accountability, some discipline. I don't know exactly what that means, but Jesus will hold him accountable in the end when he returns, but he won't be cast out. And then finally, this ignorant and negligent servant in verse 48, the beginning of verse 48 here. I don't have a lot of time to get into this, but the picture here is discipline of a negligent but genuine servant. This servant fails to obey because they don't know what they're supposed to do. They haven't been taught. They haven't been given what they need in order to obey. The principle that we should take away is this servant who is more ignorant of his responsibilities will be less culpable than the one who knows what they ought to do and doesn't do it. Which brings us to the final principle Jesus gives us in the end of verse 48, where he kind of closes with a summary of what he's been saying. And he says this, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So what's the principle here? Well, I think it's that our takeaway needs to be those that receive grace Those that receive grace, especially the grace of new eternal life in Jesus, have received much. They have received the greatest of gifts. They have been entrusted with the gospel. They have been entrusted with the privilege of being adopted and sons and daughters of God. Therefore, they are expected to be responsible with that grace, that privilege, and extend it to others. Much has been given to them. Much has been given to us. And so much is expected of us. This is especially true, yes, of those in leadership, but I believe it's also true of all followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus here today and you're, you are to be responsible to the degree grace and responsibility has been given to you, 
If you know what you ought to do, you're responsible to do it. So let's bring this to a close. Let me try to land the plane, as it were, just to summarize kind of where we've been through these, these three parables. We had our two commands, our two warnings, our two promises. The commands were this, be ready for the return of Jesus. Be ready for the return of Jesus. And secondly, obey and serve Jesus faithfully and wisely. And he gave us these warnings where he told us we won't and don't know when he will return, so we must remain vigilant, watchful. And those that disobey Jesus will be held accountable. But finally, we've got these two beautiful promises. Blessed are the faithful followers of Jesus, for when he returns, when he returns, he will serve and suffer with them. And blessed are those obedient servants of Jesus, for when he returns, he will reward their faithful service. And why does he need to tell us this? Because he knows, he knows we'll be tempted and prone to impatience to not wait on him. He knows we'll be prone to inattention to not focus on him. And he knows we'll be prone to inaction, not working for him. And so for everyone here, are you ready for Jesus to come back? What if it was soon and very soon as we just sung? You know, Alistair Begg said, to be ready, if you're, to be ready, what that means is that if, if Jesus were to come back right now, that would not, I would not feel shameful and I would not feel fearful. So if I feel, if the idea of Jesus coming back right now makes me fearful or shameful, I'm not ready. Maybe there's things I need to repeat of, or repent of. Maybe there's things I need to change in my life. I want to be ready for him, and I want you to be ready for him. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I just want to ask you again, are you ready? If he comes back today, do you look forward to that, or do you fear that? The first step to being ready for Jesus to come back is repenting and believing in him. Are you ready to do that today? Maybe you are, or maybe you have questions or doubts about all this. Maybe you're just now beginning to explore and consider the Christian faith. Whatever the case, I just want to urge you to do something now, to pursue Jesus now. Pray to God. Talk to him. Talk to someone else who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior as soon as possible. Don't presume on tomorrow. Pursue Jesus today. Receive Jesus today. And for the believers here, are you ready? If he came back today, would he find you ready? What needs to change in your life? What sins do you need to repent of? What responsibilities do you need to carry out and focus on? Remember the words of uh, Paul to Titus in chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Wait for it. Here it is. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to do those things, looking ahead, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of Jesus Christ himself. So believer, my encouragement to you is this. Keep waiting. Keep watching. Keep working. Jesus is coming back. You can count on it. He will serve and suffer with you. You have a seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Your reward will be great. Your patient endurance and faithfulness will end in glory. So stay up. Stay ready. Stay faithful. As Psalm 30 verses 5 tells us, 
Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Let's look forward to that, people. Let's pray to him. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for how you have um, inspired those that have written it down and how it's been handed down through the ages so that we can hold it in our hands and hear it and study it and consider it and be changed by it today. Father, I thank you for even especially the words of Jesus that we have heard today as he teaches not only the disciples that were there with him in the moment, but he teaches us to be ready, to be watching for him, to be waiting for him, to be working for him faithfully. Jesus, we love you. Help us to pursue you better, to be faithful to, to not be prone to impatient or impatience or inattentiveness or, or inaction, but to, to follow you and obey you wholeheartedly. Let there be no pockets or places in our lives where, where we act like we don't belong to you. Father, you, you sent Jesus to die for us, and Father, help us to live our lives in faithfulness to him. Father, we thank you for your word. If there are any, any here today that don't know Jesus as Savior, I pray that you would... Uh, your spirit would move in them to convict them and to, to bring them to a knowledge and a belief in Jesus as Savior. Uh, Father, I pray that you would draw them close and give them salvation, give them faith. And Father, we pray all this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.